This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, February 14th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. The fight over Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act and what it protects and what it doesn't now moves to the U.S. Supreme Court, where the high court will, for the very first time, take a case with big implications for the so-called 26 words that created the Internet. Cato's Will Duffield details some of the more practical considerations that ought to receive weight as the court considers its options. So really, the most notable thing is that it's the first time the Supreme Court has interpreted Section 230. And Section 230 is an intermediary liability protection that shields all the tools we use to communicate online. It prevents them from being held responsible for their users' speech. And since it was passed in 1996, lower courts have interpreted it. And some have argued that they've interpreted it broadly, but there's a canonical interpretation at at this point, a a good set of case law that guides courts in applying it. Because the Supreme Court is now weighing in for the first time, they could take this anywhere. And even a good ruling has the potential to disrupt a lot of this well-established lower court precedent. There's a kind of bull in a china shop risk when the Supreme Court steps in. So I guess broadly, what is your view of the idea that an algorithm is essentially, well, it's, the argument seems to be that the, the, by programming an algorithm to do X, you're telling the algorithm to make decisions. So it depends on what that X is. If that X is serve users more videos of the sort they've already watched, then there isn't a platform agency behind each particular recommendation. They aren't saying, hey, you, Caleb, I think you would like this ISIS video. It's just that you, Caleb, are watching things. These are videos that others who watch those things have watched. Here you go. See what you like. So in that case, so long as the algorithm isn't designed specifically to perhaps serve ISIS videos to impressionable young men so that they'll go off to Syria, then Section 230 ought to to protect the platform's neutral between good and bad purposes algorithm. Yeah, you know me. It's it's all bluegrass music and ISIS videos. That's pretty much all I all I watch these days. That would make for an interesting nasheed, that that <laughs> mashup. So the the plaintiffs argue that YouTube's video recommendations are distinct from publishing or display. And I I think amidst the vast sea of content that you you have online that's available potentially to users of YouTube or of Facebook or Twitter, then that distinction breaks down because amidst that scale, to recommend is to display and vice versa. Users only have so much space or real estate on their screen, and the platform or service has to choose what to prioritize. So there's no way to get around recommending some content over other. I'm thinking of like Instacart or Amazon or anytime you're sitting on a page uh, where you're maybe you're about to make a purchase or watch a video or, you know, get your get some groceries delivered. The, the recommendations are there. They are rooted in pr- what they think is going to sell. 
They're rooted in, well, you know, we don't know a whole lot about you, but we can tell you based on other purchasers of this product that you probably would also like this thing here. Yes, in, indeed. And they have to make those distinctions. They can't show you everything at once. They can't show you a blank page. Um, but what plaintiffs are, are arguing here is essentially akin to saying that newspapers can publish what they want, but they should face liability for decisions to put stories on the front rather than the last page. Um, and, you know, frankly, I think all of this activity is covered by Section 230. Um, it's impossible to display users' content without, in some sense, recommending it or giving users tools to pick through and search. Um, so it all just collapses together. Well, well I asked this of, of Tommy when we talked about it, which was, you know, what if there were malintent? And to what extent, then, could big speech platforms like YouTube hide behind having created an algorithm designed subtly, perhaps, to do something nefarious in terms of serving people videos. Like you talked about impressionable teenage men who, who might uh, be inspired by something they see uh, on a video. When they're leaving aside, of course, the agency of the individuals involved. But that would seem like a barrier that maybe shouldn't exist if you're talking about like a civil liability. That, I mean, that that would be, you know, tremendously concerning. But as a matter of liability, I, I think there you would have a platform decision that would make the resultant recommendations or recommended content theirs per 230. If they'd intentionally intended to highlight the ISIS videos for, for malicious reasons. Um, one, there's illegality there potentially because you're talking about intending to provide material support to ISIS by helping it to recruit. And Section 230 does not protect platforms or, or intermediaries against um, violations of federal law. If they violated federal law or are alleged to, then it isn't a shield. So in that sort of case, if that allegation were in play in the case, then this would be resolved differently. You would need a discovery process before you could tell um, whether the algorithm would, would whether Google is liable but, for it. Or but the not. bottom line is that there are laws that deal with that kind of decision that a platform might make already. Yes. And, and there's one... Um, notable case involving Backpage.com, um, a sort of adult um, erotic advertisement site, um, where for years people had tried to sue Backpage, uh, saying they hosted prostitution adverts. Backpage was protected by 230. But in one suit, I believe brought in Connecticut or Massachusetts, the plaintiffs alleged that a Backpage employee had helped to coach a advertisement submitter through the process um, in, in order to prevent the ad from being flagged as underage, that the Backpage employee had told them how to edit the ad so that it wouldn't be flagged. And in that case, that allegation was enough to take it outside of the 230 space um, and, and you were then dealing with the, the question, did the employee actually do this? But you had to figure that out before 
uh, just falling back to that 230 shield. What do you expect? I asked I asked Tommy about this because uh, the Supreme Court has a very strong sort of uh, First Amendment uh, predisposition, uh, very robust thoughts on on the First Amendment. Also, uh, this is the first time this uh, section of law has come before the court. Yeah, I don't want to make a fool of myself in six months. Um, I'm most concerned about the kind of bull in the china shop effect. I think we're we're probably more likely than not to get uh, a good ruling um, or for the court to recognize that Section 230 also protects algorithmic recommendation. Uh, but even small footnotes, paragraphs, um, throwaway lines can do a lot of damage or really shake things up when it's the first time the court has ruled on this because anything they say will supplant lower court precedent. I, I think beyond the statutory interpretation questions, which are fairly clear cut, it really matters or will matter that the court understands the equities in play here, the likely effects of holding platforms liable for these these recommendations um and that so long as they can clearly see the effects of a, a poor ruling on non-isis speech you know outside of this narrow category um of isis videos that's that's at play in the court here then they'll they'll render the the correct ruling um because we're we're at a time right now when more and more of the internet is running on algorithms, um, more and more of the social internet, rather than relying on our networks of friends as we used to. You know, we think of peak Facebook days. Your news feed is pretty much what your friends have posted. Maybe there's some some algorithmic juice in picking what to show you of that, but. Your friend group provides the the set of content that the algorithm picks from. However, as, as time has gone on, platforms that use algorithms primarily in, instead of the social graph, uh, things like TikTok is a really good example of this, where you create a TikTok account, you don't know anyone there, you just start watching videos, and it sends you more of what you've watched all the way through or liked. And so that's becoming a primary mode of content discovery uh, and, and publication today. And so if at this point you were to see the court step in and say, platforms, TikTok, YouTube, you are liable for everything you recommend or whatever your algorithm puts to the fore, those feeds are going to be sanitized. Platforms will not want to put anything potentially litigable in them. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think they would do away with algorithms altogether. And so the, the net effect will be for people speaking about controversial issues, about politics, about religion. Now, that's very big in this case, especially when you're talking about foreign language content, the line between jihadist speech and just some Islamic preacher that the moderators don't understand can get very blurry. Uh, but you would expect to see all of that, you know, skepticism of COVID, um, because we've already, there have been legislative suggestions to create penalties for COVID disinfo. So without 230, you would certainly see lawsuits around that. 
Um, all of that will be pushed out of the algorithmic feed and out of the limelight. Uh, and I think that would be really unfortunate for our political culture, uh, for our society, and for speakers and listeners who want to find the, the sort of content that they enjoy. Will Duffield is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 